All right, we're going to begin today the prophecies of Daniel. I'm not going to go through the entire book of Daniel, but I'm going to select those areas that relate to prophecies. And what you will see uh, as you study this is that Daniel's prophecy covers the entire history of the world. Not only the, the world as we know it to date, but the world to come uh, in terms of the period of time when the Antichrist will come. And he will speak uh, specifically at length. And we will also see that Jesus will cite the prophetic, prophetic aspect of Daniel's uh, ministry as authoritative. So if Jesus says it's authoritative, and we know that in the Olivet Sermon, Jesus specifically cites uh, Daniel's prophecy, well, then it's highly reliable and important for us to study. Um, and so one of the things that I want to give to you by way of insight is how, in fact, Daniel and the three Jewish boys, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, came to be in Babylon. And this all begins with the prophecy of Jeremiah, uh, because we know that in the year 600, Babylon came in, devastated Israel, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, took the Ark of the Covenant, took it out, and at the same time took the best and the brightest of Israel uh, and took them to Babylon. In that moment, Daniel and the three Jewish boys were taken as prisoners. Daniel would have been a young teenager at that point. The Jewish boys would have also been, been uh, uh, very young. And so I want you to see this initial prophecy because it's so profound. That's Jeremiah chapter 25. Now, if you want to know how specific God's word is and how reliable it is and why we study the Old Testament because I told you that the Old Testament makes it one Bible, uh, and you'll see the accuracy of the Word of God. Look at Jeremiah 25, verse 8. And this prophecy is made to the Jewish people because of their years of disobedience, their years of not following God, not following the prescriptions that God had laid out for them as a people. And so look beginning at verse 8. This is the prophecy. Therefore the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones, and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Now underline that. Not only does the prophecy say that you're going to be destroyed and, and the country will be wiped out, but it also says how long this will go on. It's going to be 70 years. Uh, now, continue reading. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. I will bring upon that land all the things I have spoken against it, all that are written in this book and prophesied by Jeremiah against all the nations. They themselves will be enslaved by many nations and great kings. I will repay them according to their deeds 
and the work of their hands. And so the question that you're saying right now in your mind is, I don't get it. Uh, five sentences before, he said Nebuchadnezzar was his servant. And here's what you see in God's time, that God decides from time to time who he's going to use, even pagan people, who he will use to advance the work of the kingdom of God. And so even though God may use that person as effectively the stick, the rod of God, that does not say that that person is a righteous person uh, and that God is elevating that person to indicate righteousness. And so you see this here. The Jews are going to be destroyed. Israel's going to be destroyed. They're going to be taken captive. uh, And there will be 70 years of captivity in Babylon. Now, we know Romans 8, 28, right? All things work together for good for them that love the Lord. So here's the question. You're a Jew in Israel, and all of a sudden now, the country's wiped out. Uh, and you're taken captive. And I wonder really how, how uh, Daniel and the three men withstood that during this period of time. But I'm going to show you that I believe, personally, I believe as I've studied this, that God orchestrated this so that Daniel would be in a preeminent position in Babylon so that when God gave a dream to Nebuchadnezzar that, it, that needed to be interpreted, Daniel would be there to be the very interpreter of God's word. This would not have taken place had not Israel been wiped out and taken prisoner. And so I believe that within the timing and will of God, this is how God works. And so you can see, and I think that's important for us to understand this, you can see even even in some of these tragic um, uh, discussions, how God is behind the scenes and motivating everything. And so even as Daniel will uh, interpret the dream of of, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel will see that the three Jewish boys are promoted to a preeminent position where they will each be in charge of a province. Uh, And so you will see that 70 years later, almost to the day, Uh, The Persians will come in and conquer Babylon, and Cyrus, the emperor of Babylon, will be in a position where he takes over, and Daniel will open his Bible and say to him, take a look at this. And in another section of Scripture, the name Cyrus is actually mentioned as God's servant. And when Cyrus sees this, his, his head explodes. Not literally, but figuratively. And so what happens is, 70 plus years later, Cyrus will allow the Jews to go back and rebuild, rebuild uh, Israel, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. So this is all really uh, amazing story, amazing stuff. This is absolutely factual, what I'm going to give you. It is supported and authoritatively so by Jesus Christ. And so we have every reason to understand that this is what has taken place. And so these prophecies that you're going to see, and we're going to do a series of them because there are several dreams, uh, these prophecies uh, uh, really cover the whole panoply of, of history, the whole panoply of history. Uh, he will begin 600 years B.C., and he will take it forward. He will take it right through uh, the birth of Christ, right through the coming of Christ, and then he will jump forward even more so uh, to the time when the Antichrist comes back. Uh, and you will see it all laid out for you, and that will be confirmed, Jesus, and by uh, the book of Revelation. Um, and so 
let's talk first of all, let's, let's look at uh, Daniel chapter 2. This lesson that I'm doing today will probably take two weeks. So uh, let's take a look at Daniel chapter 2, uh, beginning with verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servant the dream, and we will interpret it. Okay, you tell us what you dreamed. You got it? You tell us, and we'll give it back. No, not so fast. Not so fast. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. This is a guy that didn't fool around. Not only would you be dead, but you're going to be dead in pieces, all right? And your houses will be wiped out. This is a guy that didn't fool around. You have to tell me what it is. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. You can just imagine what the reaction of these guys is because there's not a chance that they can possibly know what he dreamed, all right? Uh, these astrologers and uh, fakes and even people that are involved in the dark uh, uh, spirits uh, didn't have a chance to interpret this dream. So now looking at verse 7, once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Maybe you didn't hear us, king. You tell us first and we will interpret it. Uh, then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time. You gotta love the way this is written, don't you? Because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Now think about this. You're, you're Daniel and your friends, you're innocent. You, you didn't do anything. You're over there in Babylon. You're being educated, uh, and, and now they're thought of as the wise men. All of a sudden, the death decree comes down, and you're, you know, you're going to the gallows. You're going to the gallows. Your ticket's just been punched, right? Verse 14, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had sent out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. And I got to love Daniel. And what an amazing message that is for us. Do you see how even as bad news is being delivered or as evil is confronting, well, notice what he says. He, he speaks to them with wisdom and tact. Would you speak with wisdom intact? I would probably speak with a baseball bat. What are you, are you coming to take me to, to kill me? Are you kidding me? But you see how this godly man responds. He asked the king's officers, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time 
so that he might interpret the dream for him. So you see, you see this, this young man uh, really stepping up for God. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hannah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning the mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And so here's the first part of this lesson I want to drill down with you. He prayed. He asked God for wisdom. He asked God to give him the authority to interpret this. And he bows in prayer. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Now, I want to focus on this prayer because to me, it, it's so precious as you see exactly how Daniel prays. First, uh, the first part of this, and we'll, the, the, ver- the prayer is in three parts, verses 17 to 23. And let's read that first, and then I'll comment on it. Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He, he changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. He, I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. So you see, the first part of this is a praise to God, his sovereignty, his authority, his power. I bow to you, Father. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done for me. I recognize who you are, God of the universe. That's the first part of every prayer. Instead, some of us, as soon as we hit our knees, it's immediately the hotel concierge. I need this, I need that, I need this, I need that. And I often wonder if those prayers get past the ceiling, honestly. Instead, you bow to God and you say, God, I acknowledge you. I acknowledge you, O Father, the creator of the universe. Uh, Your greatness, your power, and your authority. And then he continues in in, uh, verse 23 there, the second part of it. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. And so first he praises God, um, and and he prays and thanks God for the wisdom and power. Thus the prayer begins with adoration, as all good prayer should do. And so I recommend that to you in your own life, that you begin any prayer that you have with the adoration of God. Second, the second attribute for which Daniel uh, praised God is power. That is sovereignty. The theme of the book, the very theme of Daniel is the sovereignty of God. And what you're going to see as we do multiple prophecies, you're going to see that in every case, these prophecies relate to the, at the end of the day, God wins. He wins. Whether it's regarding Nebuchadnezzar personally, or whether it's regard to Babylon, or whether it's regard to this world and evil and Satan, in the end, God wins. All right? That's what this is about, the very sovereignty and power, and that's the theme of this book. Clearly, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to be in control, and you're going to see this in subsequent uh, dreams and subsequent prophecies. Uh, It's going to get to a point where it looks like Nebuchadnezzar recognizes the power of God, and then shortly thereafter, Nebuchadnezzar is going to lift himself up and say, oh, I'm so great. Look at what I built in Babylon. And shortly thereafter, he's going to spend seven years wandering in the woods as a wild animal, all right? Because God is putting him there to make him understand you're not in control. You don't have the control. At the end of the day, I am in control, says God. And so that's what this message is is all about. Um, And so 
Uh, here he says, Daniel says here, God sets up king and deposes them. He reveals deep and hidden things. He's telling Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he's going to be speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, but Daniel will recognize right up front, you are in charge. This king is not in charge. This king sits here because you allow him to sit here, just as you allowed him to take uh, Israel captive. You gave him the authority to do what he's doing. And, and this is a message for you, that whatever you have in your life, whatever God allows you to do, it is because of the authority of God in your life. All right? I can't drill this message down enough. Uh, if I had to emphasize what's the single biggest issue in the lives of Christians, I will call it pride. All right? And I will, I'll expand that to include spiritual pride. Meaning what? Meaning we want to be in charge of our own things. We want to make our own decisions. We want to go where we want to go, when we want to go, because we think we have the authority to do this. And I'm just going to tell you that this is the, the word of God. If you've given your heart to God, you've signed over with Jesus, well, guess what? He owns you. All right? And so you no longer have authority in your life. You may think you do, and all you will be doing will be bucking against the pricks of the Spirit. God is in charge, uh, and he is wrecking this out. Third, Daniel praises God for the wisdom and the power he had imparted to him personally. And so here it is. He recognizes this is even before he goes in. Even before he goes in and tells Nebuchadnezzar what the prayer is. He knows he has it. Because God has revealed it to him. What a powerful, what a powerful message this is. And remember this, this guy is a teenager. All right? This guy's a teenager brought out of his home country, away from his family, in isolation there. And yet God lifts him up. God lifts him up. What, a, what an incredible, what an incredible passage. And so now, let's drill down on the very dream, beginning in page on verse 24. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. And let me stop and just say one thing right here. You know that 600 years later, the, there will be wise men coming from Babylon to Bethlehem to worship the king. Where do you think they came from? From the lineage of Daniel. You understand? Do you see how God is putting this all together? And so the very fact that Daniel's been placed in Babylon uh, will be educated as one of the wise men, that over those 600 years, these men will study the scriptures and they will read the signs in the sky and they will be prepared to go to Bethlehem to worship the king. All of this, all of this comes out of the fact that God took this man out of Israel as a teenager. Verse 25, Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah. I love how you call him that. Exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, and you will see that, that Daniel will have two names. The one name there uh, is the name used uh, by the Babylonians. Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream 
and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. Uh, And so what an incredible uh, message. He's now about to reveal the dream. But before he does, he tells him that the reason he's going to be able to reveal the dream is because the God of the universe, the God of the universe has revealed it to him. Verse 29, as you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and you may understand what went through your mind. You have to love this guy. Here he is about to give the king the very interpretation of a dream. Tell him what the dream is. And yet he doesn't point to himself. Oh, yes, I am smart. I am smart and talented. And now I'm going to give you this. Because how many of us would do that? After all, what a time, right? Oh, wow. You can't ask for better timing. He needs the interpretation I have. I have it. I'm going to elevate myself. What does it hurt to do a little self-promotion, right? little self-promotion. Get that word out of your mind in terms of the work of God. There is no such thing as self-promotion in spiritual things. Amen? Don't ever self-promote. Don't ever self-promote. And let me tell you, I was the king of self-promotion, practicing law. I understood what what it was and when newspapers would speak to me and clients would speak to me. I understood what I had to say and how I had to say it, but I had to learn in spiritual things there is no self promotion. Put your face in the dust and point upward to him. Give all authority to him and he will elevate you and he will lift you up. This is what he does here with Daniel. Um, and, and so you looked, O king, this is now verse 31, you looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them out without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. How do you like that dream? All right? How's that dream? And how do you like that interpretation? Is that specific enough for you? All right? This is not like you dreamt you were out in a pasture and you were walking around and you saw some flowers. It was all good. No, this guy had one heck of a dream. Frankly, I'd call it a nightmare. All right? I would call it a nightmare. Uh, uh, But God is using this guy, giving this guy this, this prophetic vision so that Daniel will interpret it and it will become effectively the foundational blueprint for the rest of history. The foundational blueprint for the first rest of history. This was the dream and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. 
The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. And this was an accurate statement of what Babylon stood at that time. It was the preeminent country uh, in the world. It had a wide and diverse dominion. Clearly, it was, it was at the top of the food chain of nations, and it was uh, symbolized here by gold. And in this dream, what you're going to see is that as, as Daniel will, will navigate down the statue, and he will begin to go from, from gold uh, to silver, to bronze, to iron, to iron, each one of those successive uh, statements, one of those successive dominions, will be a change. It will be uh, countries that will take over after Babylon. And what you will see is that gold has the greatest glory, uh, followed by silver, which is not quite as glorious, followed by bronze, which again is not quite as glorious. But even as that takes place, the subsequent countries become stronger and stronger. Silver is stronger than gold. Bronze is stronger than silver. All right, Iron uh, is the strongest. And so you're going to see this whole vision and, uh, come before you, and it's going to represent the rest of the history of the world. Uh, verse 39, after you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. Next, the third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. So here he's being told, look, your, your, your kingdom is gold, but don't get too comfortable, my friend. Don't get too comfortable because God is orchestrating, and after you, there's going to be others, and not just one others. There are going to be multiple others who will rule the world, uh, and he's giving us the history. Now, this is 600 B.C. Remember this, 600 B.C. Just as you saw, this is verse 41, just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and part, partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. That last kingdom, which I'm going to delineate for you, will become a divided kingdom, all right? The representation of the two legs indicated that the kingdom will first divide into two spaces, all right? And we're going to talk about that. And then the toes, all right, now becoming clay and iron mixed together, will indicate ten kingdoms uh, coming, coming around. And again, this now becomes the prophecy of the future, the time of the Antichrist, and we're going to talk all about it. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than the iron mixes with clay. How do you like that? God, God looking forward and seeing uh, this, this very issue. And so in the time of those kings, now look at that verse. 44, in the time of those kings, meaning in the future time of those kings, there will be multiple kings over multiple kingdoms. I just told you that there are 10 toes mixed with both iron and steel. Uh, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that he will never be, that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush, it will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the rock. The rock is Jesus Christ. The rock will come in. 
The rock will destroy those 10 kingdoms with those 10 kings. It will destroy it. It will wipe out all of the kingdoms in the world. Uh, and that will prevail. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The rock of Jesus Christ. And next week I will show you and demonstrate to you all the verses that speak about Jesus as the rock. You want to understand the nature of the rock? When he said to Peter, upon this rock, this is the rock he's talking about. He's not talking about a rock made of a human being. He's talking about this rock, this kingdom, that will destroy everything in its place and will prevail at the end of the day. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message. I ask you, Lord, that it continue to resonate in our heart as we will continue to study it next week. Be with our people, protect them, and bring them back next week. We put all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you all.